I think most parents would be familiar with this following scenario. A toddler just walk out of a nap, and then we say, well, he or she just out of sorts. So you say to the toddler, do you want milk? He says, or she says, no. Do you want to eat? No. Do you want to play? No. Do you want to go back to bed? No. Do you want Uncle Bob to adopt you? (laughs) No. (laughs) The answer is always no. We say, well, you know, just he's out of sorts. The problem is there are adults who are out of sorts all the time. You know what I'm talking about? They really are. Thankfully, in the case of the toddler, he'll he'll grow up and grow out of it. But the problem with the adults who are out of sorts are continuously out of sorts. Except, of course, they are too mature and too sophisticated to say no. In their maturity and in their sophistication, they express their discontentment by being indifferent. In their maturity and in their sophistication, adults express their self-absorption by being impervious. In their maturity and sophistication, adults who are unfulfilled will express themselves in saying, who cares? So what? Somebody said this is a so what generation. What difference does it make? In fact, they remind me of a preacher who one time was preaching his heart out about the problems with society, and he was really getting carried away, and he said, the problems of our society are basically two in nature. He said, it's ignorance and indifference. And then he leaned over the pulpit, looked at the man in the front pew, and he said, is that not so? Well, he did not anticipate the man to respond. But the man said, I don't know, and I don't care. (laughs) Now you know what I'm talking about. The main reason for indifference, especially in regard to matters of eternal importance, where the eternal future is hanging in the ballot, that they soar into themselves is that they cannot see anybody or anything beyond themselves. This problem of being into oneself had reached a ludicrous level in our culture today. So much so that the Wall Street Journal printed an article explaining that there are thousands of Americans spending millions upon millions upon millions of dollars set aside in their will. Now, not for charitable causes. Now, not for doing good things with their money. No, no, no. Not even leaving it to their heirs. There are millions upon millions upon millions of dollars are bequeathed in the wills of so many Americans to themselves. You say, how is that be? Well, they're bequeathing their money to be saved in a trust for themselves while they have their body frozen on ice. So that in a hundred years' time, their body can be defrosted. They figure that the science will improve by then, that the body can be defrosted. And they can live for 
many, many years. The article said that there are at least 1,000 Americans who belong to this group called the Crown Ox Society, come from the Greek word to put on ice. The brochure of the Chronics Society puts it this way. Listen carefully. That if you leave $10,000 in your trust for yourself, when you are defrosted 100 years from now, it will grow to about $8.7 million. And with that money, the brochure said, you will be able to buy youth and health for centuries. You know, but the amazing thing about this, as I read the article, I realized that there's nothing new. (laughs) This is really not new. In every generation, those who are into themselves somehow get the scum artists working hard. And the following advertisement was actually printed in Psychology Today of March issue of 1984. I want to read the ad to you. Wish you were rich? You can be. If you are one of the growing millions who are convinced of the reality of the reincarnation, here is once in a lifetime offer. First, leave us $10,000 or more in your will. After you pass away, our professional medium will contact your spirit in the other world. There you will tell us when you're coming back. And under what name? (laughs) Upon your return, we regress you to the age of 21 of this current life through hypnosis. And then ask you for your seven-digit account number. (laughs) Once you give us that number, we will give you a check on the spot for your original investment plus interest. The longer you're gone, the more you receive. You may come back and find yourself a billionaire. Show your future self how much you care. Give yourself a generous welcome back present and we will take care of the rest. I'm sure they will. Beloved, listen to me. People who are so into themselves create a whole industry to cater to their whims, to their fantasies. Someone would say, but how do I recognize this self-problem? The evidence of self-endearment is indifference to God and His Word. The evidence of this self-problem is indifference to the truth. The evidence of the self-problem is indifference toward reality, is indifference toward even the dearest and the nearest, no matter what they say, we're going to ignore them. And just in case you're tempted by what I just said, of what is happening today and what's happening 20 years ago, to think, well, at least this is a modern-day phenomenon. I want you to turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 31. Luke 7, 31. 
To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to each other. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came, neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came, eating and drinking, and you say, he is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you in brokenness and in humility, asking for the Holy Spirit to take these magnificent words and expound them to every heart. Father, in the name of Jesus, not one single person within the sound of my voice would be the same after today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus was encountering a people in His generation who were so into themselves. I told you it was not a new problem. It's not a new phenomenon. And Jesus was speaking to these people. They were so indifferent toward the truth that He had to do something drastic, that He had to tell them a story that they can relate to. So He paints this beautiful picture of what really had happened, would happen during His earthly ministry, during that time. I want to explain it to you. Back during Jesus' earthly ministry, most people, if very few, if any, had backyards. So kids cannot go back in the backyard and play with their neighbor's friends. So what they did is they gathered in the street, and they went to a place, always empty, except for certain days of the week where the market is opening, when people are there to sell their produce. So it was market for, on a part-time basis, but it was an empty space where all the kids of the neighborhood would congregate and play, and they play games. Well, they did not play soccer, they did not play football, they did not play baseball or cricket or any of the games that we know. Kids back then played act playing. That was the most popular game, is to act play. So they got together and they said, what shall we play? One of the boys uh, probably said, um, Here's, I know what we play, let's play a wedding. Let's play a wedding. That was normal back then. He says, Mary, you be the bride. Ruth, you be the bridesmaid, and, and I'll be the groom. And Bobby, you be the groomsman. And Peter, you'll be the preacher. And then the rest of you guys, well, you can hum the wedding march. One of the kids, as often the case, kids will understand this, <laughs> piped up and said, well, that's stupid game. That's silly game. Another one said, yeah, yeah, that's childish. Another one said, oh, that's silly stuff. And soon, as always the case, the spirit of discontentment, disgruntlement took over. And everyone's saying, no, 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 yeah, we're not going to play that stupid game. We're not going to do that. So, probably the same guy said, well, okay, that's fine. Well, let's play funeral. How morbid. But they did play funeral. One thing you need to know about the Middle East, in funerals, they hire what they call professional mourners. It's like a singer 
It's like you, hire, you go and hire a singer, somebody who's got ability to do poem and sing. And uh, this woman normally would find out a few things about the deceased, uh, how good he or she was, or some of their activities, and then able to rhyme some words and some poems to sing about the deceased person. It's called a dirge. And they will come in, and they will talk about how good that person was, how good, and what he did, and what she did, and so forth. And this is designed, of course, to let people grieve properly. And they will cry, and they will cry, and the beloved family and friends are just sob their hearts out. And so one kid said, well, you know, let's play a funeral. I'll be the funeral director, and you'll be the pallbearers, and, and uh, you, you'll be the professional mourner. You sing a dirge. And all the rest of you can cry. Again, a kid pipes up and says, Oh, no, this game is morbid. I hate that game. That's a stupid game. Another said, I don't like the sad stuff. Another said, You guys need to cut this out. And finally, the guy just got so frustrated that no matter what game he comes up with, he gets criticized, he gets turned down, he gets put down, and he got just fed up. And he says, you guys are just never satisfied. You guys are never happy. Nothing makes you happy. You can never get enthusiastic about anything. You're always discontented. You're always indifferent. You're always fractious. You're always fickle. You're always apathetic. And he just about had it. It's over. You guys can't get into anything. Nothing moves you. Nothing satisfies you. And here's what Jesus is doing right here. After he tells them this, because of course he understood what he was talking about, he said, guys, that's you. That's you. That's what Jesus is saying. He turned to them and said, that's you. You never respond to any challenge. You're never going to be moved at anything or by anything. You're always going to be critical. You can't get over your critical attitude. You never stop your indifference. You don't even try to overcome your apathy. You never even move out of your comfort zone and do something. You're never going to do something worth. You're never going to impact anyone. All you do is criticize all the time. All you do is complain all the time. Always telling us what is wrong with everybody. John the Baptist came. He preached the message of repentance. He told you to repent. You listened to him for a little while. And then you criticized him. You criticized his austere lifestyle. You said he's too harsh. You said his message is too severe. You said that he doesn't eat well and he doesn't dress well. You said that he was not sophisticated. You said he was unsociable. He is unapproachable. You said that he lives in the wilderness and he cannot live with civilization and civilized people. You said that he is an in-your-face preacher and we don't want and we don't care. You even had the gumption to say that he is demon-possessed. So the Son of Man came, the one whom John the Baptist came to announce the one who came to prepare the way for the Messiah, the Son of Man, the Son of God. So he comes in, and what did he do? He preached the same message. 
If you read the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 15, the Bible said that Jesus went about beginning of His ministry, saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and receive the good news. Believe the good news. Same message that John the Baptist preached. Same message. Jesus was different from John. He was gentle. He was loving. He was sociable. He lived with people. He ate with people. He touched people. He dressed very nicely. In fact, Jesus' tunic was so expensive that those soldiers at the cross did not want to tear it. They cast lots over it because what he received from his mother when he turned 30 and became a priest. It was a very nice tunic, obviously dressed well. And what do you say about him? What do you say about him? Did you listen to his message? Did you respond to his love? Were you moved by his miracles? Did you repent of your sins and receive forgiveness? No. You said he was too sociable. He eats and drinks too much. He is too friendly. He is too approachable. You say, what's going on here? He is saying, in this generation, like every other generation, there are those who are always superficial. There are those who are always critical. There are those who are always indifferent. There are those who will always judge the style and not the substance, the preacher and not the message, the messenger and not the message. Those who are always focused on things that are important to them instead of the things that are important to God. And in the face of it, they become indifferent. Become indifferent. In the face of God's urging and the urgency of the time, their words are, so what? So what? But what would the righteous do? Verse 35 is the key verse here. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Verse 35. Jesus said, But wisdom is proved by all of her daughters. But wisdom is proved by all of her daughters. Not by a critical attitude. Not by being indifferent. Not the person who continues to sit on their hands and do nothing. What does it mean? Here's what it means. That while the unwise, while the foolish people put their hope in phony schemes, like freezing their bodies or hoping for reincarnation, wise people respond to the message of repentance and forgiveness. While those who are into themselves become indifferent toward the message of eternal life, the wise people will put their whole confidence in the Word of God. Not only that, listen carefully, but those wise people will prove the message of the cross by the way they live. The wise people will demonstrate the power of the message of the cross by the way they witness to that power. Wise people will 
vindicate the truth of the gospel by their godly lifestyle, wise people will be a living demonstration to the power of salvation, to the power of forgiveness, to the power of healing, to the power of restoration, to the power of peace and joy, and to the power of contentment and happiness. Wisdom is proved by all her daughters. And when the neighbors see your life, your co-workers see your life, you don't have to pull them by the lapel and say, repent like John the Baptist did. No. They're going to look at you and say, I want this. I want what you've got. I want this. I long for this. How can I get it? Thus, wisdom is proved by her children. I want to share with you an example of how wisdom is proved by her children. I got this letter from someone in the great state of Ohio, dear Michael Youssef. I had to write and tell you and let you know what effect your ministry had on my life. Many times... I watched your program and thought, (laughs) what you said was stupid. How you expressed Christ was a joke to me. I laughed at your God by ignoring Him. He wasn't really there. I was a Satanist, as well as part of the Nazi movement. As bad as it sounds, Christians were nothing more than lower life forms to myself and my friends. I could do anything, and I did not need your God's help or permission. I sold my soul to the devil. I signed a pact with my own blood, and after doing so, I read the small print. If I tried to get out of the group, I could be killed. I remembered your broadcast. I called your prayer line on television. Someone in your prayer line, prayed with me, and I received Christ. I got a Bible and read and reread. God saved me. I don't understand why He could do that, because I was so evil and hurt Him so badly. Jesus can save anyone. Wisdom is proven by one of her daughters all of her daughters. He saved me. Thanks to your prayer line, your church, and your ministry. Now, my beloved friend, I want to tell you something. As I conclude this series, it is a cry of my heart that not one, not one, would be like these children that Jesus has spoken about. Not one person who's coming here and heard the saving message of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins, the repentance and faith, not one would go out shrugging their shoulder. Not one would say, so what? If you have never come to Jesus Christ and received the forgiveness at His hand of all of your past, present, and future sins, He can do that today. But then there's more. It is a prayer and a cry of my heart that you become determined that your world will know Jesus because of your love for Him. That your world would know Jesus 
because of your love for others, that the world would know Jesus, your world would know Jesus because of the way you live, that your world would know Jesus because of the commitment to Him and to His church, His bride, that the world and your world would know Jesus because of your living as the bride of Christ. Father, You are the searcher of all hearts. Forgive us for judging by appearances, and forgive us for judging by style and not substance. Forgive our critical spirits. Forgive our indifference. Father, as we see the world heading more and more toward turmoil, Father, as we see that your return is near, I pray that whatever years you've got us left, or days, or months, whatever, that every single person who's listening to me today, including your servant, that we will consecrate those days to you, not to easy living, not to slovenness, not to indifference, but, Father, to you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.